Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Um, I want to wish everyone a happy holiday if you celebrate or a happy winter if you don't. Um, I'm in southwest Florida where it was 80 degrees today, so I had to put on my air conditioner. Um, Beautiful blue skies, balmy weather, not a cloud anywhere. So I hope you're enjoying your snow and whatever not my thing. I'll just turn down the air conditioning real low. Hey, you know, I have um, a returning guest tonight, Simon Wood, whom um, I've known since I think my first VoucherCon. My first VoucherCon was in Raleigh. And um, jokingly around, I had said to Simon on a Facebook feed that I wanted him to bring me a sample of the honey that he and his wife get from their bees. And sure enough, he came he came and searched me out and handed me a tiny little sample jar of honey. And after that, I've been buying it from them since. But let me tell you more about Simon. Um, before he was a full-time author, he designed equipment that stopped oil rigs from leaking and also kept drinking water clean. He raced a single-seater race cars in the U.K. He tried to cure his fear of heights by, of all things, becoming a licensed pilot, not only in the U.K., but here. And um, they also were undercover investigators in casinos to try to catch gamblers. I love that story. Um, <laughs> he tells me that he really didn't think about becoming a writer, because, but when he was going through the INS, the now defunct INS, waiting for his um, residency to be approved, he had nothing but time, so he decided to write. But Simon is a very interesting man because he is very dyslexic. He will tell you this. He admits it on his website. You can look it up yourself. So bad that um, his wife has to transcribe all of his scribbles. And um, even writing is difficult. But he went ahead and taught himself how to write. He's an Anthony Award winner. And by the way, don't think that he has a boring life. He, um, While he's a retired race car driver, he still <laughs> loves loves to be outside he um is rides a bike has some great stories about that um he does road cycling taking part in endurance rides and time trials he loves to travel the more off the beat path the better um uh he also is a collector of pets which makes me love him even more so happy to welcome back to my studio simon wood welcome back simon for you tonight hey thank you very much for having me <laughs> You're quite welcome. Did you fall asleep during that intro? Are you tired well, of hearing it? What it is is because my wife is actually away working. Um, I have all the animals here sitting here, uh, and I'm just uh, making sure none of them start fighting. <laughs> oh, listen, I have five cats. You're going to hear it. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That keeps it real. You know, I, I've got five cats, and most of the ones that normally get in a fuss are in other rooms. That does not mean that'll change. I fed them copious amounts of food before our interview, so hopefully they won't bother me. But That's anyway, what I've done, but hey. I, I saw a curled lip, and I thought, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you still have long-haired doxies? Yes, I, I, um, she's sitting next to me. Aw. And you still have cats? Yeah, we have. Um, we don't have any fosters right now, so we've just got our uh, five long-term residents. And do you still have chickens? 
Yeah, we have uh, five of those. They're struggling in the... While you've got um, sunshine and air conditioning, we've got rain and darkness. So they're they're, uh, huddling under something dry at the moment. Oh, oh, how funny. And you still have... Don't you have land that you lease to somebody and you also keep... No, we just... Uh, we have um, a partner, so we have some hives on some ah. uh, on another property, um, and then we have bee, uh, hives on our property, which isn't we're sort of like it's described as semi-rural where we live. So we've uh-huh. got like a, a we don't have a big chunk of land, but um, I have a I live on a steep hillside, which is mm-hmm. sort of backyard. It's completely impractical, um, but it's perfect for chickens and bees. And fruit trees and things like that. They can, they can all cling on for dear life. But um, yeah, that's perfect. Not not good for a swimming pool out there. No, no. Unless you want, there'll always be a deep end. There you go, a very deep end, <laughs> and a slightly tilted one. So yeah. uh, your infinity pool would be infinitely being filled all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Um, You've been writing. You've written, I don't know, 11 full-length novels now. Is that right? 11 or 12 full-length novels? Yeah, something like that, I think, yeah. And But you, you've contributed to all kinds of stories, and now you've taken um, a turn at editing. So you have a book coming out in maybe January or February. Uh, yeah, called it should about be out Trouble by January, I think. Yeah. January, okay. Called Trouble and Strife. And so it's I tried to understand about this book because it's a collection of crime stories inspired by Cockney rhyming slang. I don't know what that is, and I was just in London, so I didn't hear any of that, but it's a very international city, and I stayed near Kensington Park, so maybe that's why. But can you please tell me or even demonstrate a little bit of what Cockney rhyming slang is? Yeah, it basically is is rhyming a word with a with like a, either another word or a phrase, and you use the non-rhyming word in place of the word that you wanted to use. So, um, so to give you an example, is that you'll hear people uh, refer like butcher's hook um, means look. So, but you'll probably use the word in the sentence. You somebody will say, let, you know, let me have a butcher's at that instead of let me have a look at that. And so you start speaking in a code. Um, like holy holy water means daughter. Um, trouble and, and strife you, actually... Go on. Uh, Use that in a sentence for me. I'm trying to understand how holy water and daughter are related. <laughs> yeah, because you say, oh, you know, my... my um, Holy's gone out for the night or something, but it's it's sort of like um, uh, plates of meat means feet. So you'll have someone say, "My my plates hurt today." Um, you know, skyrocket means pocket. So someone will say, "Here's twenty dollars for your sky," and and we'll move on. So there's like loads of these little phrases, like um, there's gypsies kiss, smash and grab. Lamb to the slaughter, which is another um, um, phrase for daughter. So you, you, someone will say, how many kids you got? And someone will say, I got two lambs. 
Now, but this is not an everyday British thing. Well, this the thing is, is just... yeah, I mean, but they've kind of like morphed, because it's like over 100 years old, that's kind of morphed into everyday language as just like genuine, as so like general slang, but then people don't even know where the word originates from. I mean, uh-huh. you're pretty much, bump, you'll bump into a lot of people who will say, uh, give us a butcher's, but won't know what no, no, it means let me get, let me have a look at that. But no one people will start forgetting. Well, why do you say butchers and not look? And it's because it rhymes with hook. So um, you ask how many authors are part of this anthology? I think it's eleven, eleven or twelve. I think we got because um, what it was was it was invented. There's a lot of like um, reasons for how this came about. And it's basically used in the East End of London. And it was it, the fable is that it was created by uh, criminals when they started finding out that there was undercover police in bars and pubs and things. So they wanted to speak in code and 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 not be caught out by Victorian undercover uh, policemen. And so um, it was one of those those things that's kind of built whether that is true that's sort of partly disputed that that sort of legend but so many english legends are kind of disputed all the time um right because the reason you call policemen bobbies in england is because of robert peel and they're all like bobby's boys ah did not know that so so you get all these um these phrases and copo is short for cop uh, or long for cop, I should say, but cop stands for constable on patrol. So there's all these huh. sort of like slang terms that kind of like um, pop into, sort of like end up becoming like your regular word, and then you've got to like deep dive to find like, well, why do we say that? Um, so I, what I wanted to do is when I wanted, I sort of like pitched this as an, an idea to the publisher and said, I want to, I said, there's so many of these sort of colorful phrases um that would be you know that a sort of like very sort of imaginative that would spark a story idea and mm-hmm. they said that's a good idea so i went to i went i sort of like went out to some writers i knew and kind of said um here's a dictionary on rhyming slang here's a little video on what rhyming slang is um go through a dictionary if there's a phrase that means something to you or pops out at you um you know, write me a story on that. Uh, and that's what they did. Oh. Because they're sort of, cause, um, so we got some of my favorites, which is uh, Steve Brewer wrote a story called Babbling Brook, uh, which is slang for crook. And his story is about a talkative criminal in jail. Interesting. Um, and so it was the idea of saying, because I said to him, take the phrase, and, um, you know, take its meaning and make the story out there. But if you can link the colorful phrase in some sort of connection to the story, um, then, you know, then you can sort of like basically knit everything nicely together. Because uh, Johnny Shaw's story was Dicky Dirt, which is slang for shirt. And his is all to do with a shirt and something that's connected to it. Um, so it's, you know, um, 
you know, it was just that kind of thing to be able to have people to, to latch onto the phrase, then look up the meaning, then then basically conjure up a story from there. So you have um, a collection of these phrases, and you sent the meaning to the 11 or 12 authors that were involved in this anthology, and from there they plucked out what they wanted to use, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you said Trouble and Strife actually is one of those um, uh, slang things. So what does Trouble and Strife mean? It means wife. Really? Yeah, and so, the, you know, the slang phrase kind of ties into what a wife is. <laughs> oh, you better not let Julie hear you say that. <laughs> well, she's on a business trip, so she's not around. Yeah, but she, but she'll listen to the podcast. I'll email it to her. <laughs> Can you talk about some of the other writers who were participating in this? You said Johnny Shaw and um, Bob Dugoni. Who else? Yeah, so we got uh, Angel Luis Colon. Um, he did oh, Bunsen Burner. Yeah, okay. so he did uh, he did Bunsen Burner, which is uh, slang for earner, um, which means making money. Right. So that's like a you know double slang one. Sure. Uh, Paul Finch, Paul Finch, who's an English writer who I've I've known basically at uh, the beginnings of both our careers from about twenty years ago. Um, wow. He's an ex-policeman and a journal ex-journalist who now writes out of England. Because I, I wanted to, I got writers from America, I got writers from the UK, and one from Canada mm-hmm. because I wanted, mm-hmm. if you like, people from the UK who were kind of like in the know. And then uh, ones outside of the UK wouldn't have a clue what any of this was. And I wanted their kind of like cold take on what they could do with that story. Um, so Paul Finch's is Mr. Kipper, which is slang for Jack the Ripper. Um, <laughs> so um, it's rhyming. The last, the second word is, or the third word is rhyming to what the actual meaning what, is. Yes, but then you only use the first word. Okay, so, so it, give me the name of a, the next story and tell me who's the author, and let me see if I could figure it out. All right, Katrina McPherson's story um, oh, yeah. is um, is Barnet Fair. Fair? Uh, I don't. Does it have to do with a dare? No. Fair. Fair. Correct. There you go. Katrina and I so always you, talk about someone, how we have someone we, we have the same hair, so we always talk about that. <laughs> we laugh. But the thing is, you'll have someone to say, "I need to get my barnet cut," and they're talking about getting their hair cut. So, like Katrina's story is about a, um, a hairdresser um, and the barnet fair itself, as in like um, carnival. Uh huh. Barnet fair, the carnival. Um, right. And something that happened there, and it's a revenge story. Um, Ooh, sounds, so, sounds delicious. Um, <laughs> Susanna Colkin's story is tea leaf. Leaf? Um, leaf. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. My my brain is blank. <laughs> I can't think well, of what if, it would if be. This is, if this is a, a crime story, what would rhyme with leaf and thief? crime? Yes. Thief? Ah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love Susanna's writing, too. She's great. 
um, go ahead. We got Travis, Travis Richardson. His story is Lee Marvin, which isn't uncommon to have popular figures made into words. Okay, I'm trying to imagine what Travis would tell me. Marvin, 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 Marvin. Lee Marvin. Hmm. It relates to crime. Marvin. I have no idea. That I'm stumped. What if you're hungry? And rhymes with Marvin. Hungry? Marvin starving? Yeah. Starving? Really? Yeah. So it's it's about a it's it's a heist story about a guy who's hungry, and he starts off trying to get a meal, and it goes on a roller coaster ride. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. I absolutely have to get a copy of this book. Uh, Caper stories are my most favorite of all time. As a matter of fact, I'm reading one right now from Jeff Lindsay, the guy who created Dexter. He's got a great yeah, yeah. new anti-hero you know so his, his book is magnificent okay who else who are your other authors please um we got colin campbell who's a he's a yep. british writer um yes. his story is trouble and strife uh we didn't name the book after it. that was actually the title that we came up for the book first but his story just happened to uh pick that phrase so i um, see so that's so, about his yeah. wife okay yeah so it's about a, a wife not not the main character's wife. And uh, Sam Weeby, um, his is a lady from Bristol. Bristol Pistol? Yes. Yes, so his I is know all Sam about too. Yeah, See, so I know all of your, your contributors are all people I know and have know. met and interviewed. It's great. We'll have to have um, a little... And then we've um, got... Yeah, we'll have to have them all on. We, that takes we will. some corralling, that, but... That's, no, that's <laughs> that okay. Take some corralling, but that's... I actually, actually have had 50 people at one time, so um, I can do that. But it'll be fun. We'll yeah. try it. Who else? Um, and then we got Robert Dugoni, who did Pleasure and Pain. Pain. Well, pain should be obvious. I mean, in crime, there's pain. Pain, stain... Uh, um... Pain, stain, lane, chain, bane. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. What, what, what is England known for? I don't know. What, what is it known for? When rhymes with pain. Oh, rain? And the weather. Yeah. Rain? Really? Yeah. Huh. So that sounds interesting. So I think huh. that that's I think that's all of them. But yeah, so we got. Um, did you contribute you know, we, or did you just edit? I just edited. I kind of I had a backup story that I was going to put in, but I didn't put it in because um, I didn't want to be the person who's like going, you know, I'm going to. Cr- you know, corral all the stories, and then I'm going to write one myself and put right, myself right. in. It's just kind of patting yourself on the back. But I did write one yeah. um, to go in if we if we needed it. Um, so mine was smash and grab. Grab, stab. No. No. Well, that could that could be. Grab. It could, stab. but it's not. <laughs> Well, you know, you're telling me to think crime. What words go with crime? Stabbing does. Um, hmm. 
grab, stab. I don't know. I give up what. You, if you if you were if you were in London, you saw a lot of black ones of them. Cab. Yeah. A cab, really? Yeah. So in moments, gonna be, my story was about um, a black cab that is being used for um, a smash and grab crime, a bank robbery, and the wrong person gets into the cab. Whoops. <laughs> that should be fun. So um, how long did it take for you to get your collection together from the inspiration to the editing and all of it wrapped up and ready to go? Um, it took longer than I thought. It was one of those things. I crossed the aisle from writer to editor, and I didn't realize trying to you know, corral authors is like you know, trying to herd cats. Um, so it was kind of, it was, it took a lot more work than I thought, but, um, I think I got it all tied up and finished at the, um, beginning of the year, I think by about February or so this year. Um, but, um, I had first got the stories coming in in October and I think Uh I asked everybody in April last year to start Mm -hmm. thinking about it and start pulling it together. But um, yeah, there was a good, there was good, sort of like three, um, you know, four months of, um, you know, pulling and twisting and um, doing little edits. And how? Um, so I have two questions. One is how many words on average are the stories? It's it's weird because I have a couple of ones that are about twenty five hundred. Uh, mm-hmm. Quite a few of them are about five thousand. But then I've got two of them that um, are about 15,000 each. Wow. Those are, you know, really novelettes, I think, right? Yeah. So basically I have two novelettes in it and um, 10 stories, 10 short stories. Um, You know, last year, two years ago, um, this network published an anthology about crime survivors. And we had 21 stories in that. And I, of course, I'm not an editor. I'm not even a writer. I just am the one who had the idea and invited everybody to come and participate. Anybody who wanted to, there, I, there was no, you know, I, no selection process. If you could write a story that made sense, it'd get in there. And, um, Alison Brennan, uh, mm. put in, yeah, I know Alison yeah, put in, a, a novel, a novel in not a full length novel. Um, you know, she put in probably 25,000 words of one of her continuing series and she really guided the whole effort. And that book is called betrayed the anthology. Uh, it benefited, uh, a women's shelter, women and children's shelter here in Southwest Florida. So we were really happy how that turned out. It, it did really well. I think it got to number two on the Kindle anthologies. I, I don't I don't know the numbers on the yeah, I don't know what the book sales numbers were. I just know I sent money to the shelter, lots and lots of money, and they were very happy to be the recipients of. So so my but my next question to you is simply because you you've n- never been made any secret of your dyslexia and how difficult it is for you to write and read and all. So two questions. When you want to read, do you listen to Audible? Or do you try to read? And number two, how do you edit when you have a difficult time reading? Um, a couple of things is uh, I do listen mainly to 
uh, Audible and, you know, books on CD, although those are disappearing <laughs> right. these days. Um, right. So I do that. If I, can, if I can get it on audio, then I will. Uh, right. Even if it's a textbook or a biography or, or some research material, um, if it's if it's not, and I do have to read about it, it's it's something that I have to do. But it takes me such a long time to sort of like work my way through um, a book. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Especially if I know it's a long book, I'm going to probably have to just say no, just on principle. Uh, because I, I think I read The Stand when I was about 19, and it took me eight months of reading it every day to get through that book. Um, so, you know, it gets to the thing of, like, I'm not sure I can I can make a, a an almost year commitment to one long book. Um, sure. So, um, and if it's something I need for research, I normally get the kids' book. Um, really? Because normally the kids' book has all the topics. It may not go into the depth. But you'll get the kids' book will, you know, uh, go into it, and you're like, oh, that's an interesting part I didn't know anything about. And you can go and research topics. So you're almost getting, like, the cliff notes of of something. So rather than, you know, bury yourself in some academic thing or some educational book, if it's something that I need to know about for a story, then it's like, oh, a kids' book will tell me in, in 100 pages. And uh, if there's anything I need to look up from there, then it becomes a, a little bit easier. So, I just find kids' books are great intros. Um, which leads me to another question. Um, you handwrite out your stories and then Julie describes them for you, is that right? Oh, no, right? no, I, t- I type them and then she reads them. I just type them. I don't, I don't look down. I just basically put out the words and then she reads it. Um, do you have a certain font that you use to read and write? Isn't there one that's made for someone who has dyslexia? Yeah, I just I like thing the the biggest thing for me is the le- the less words on a page the better. Oh, um, I see. It's sort of like my eye tends to um uh, I don't I don't think chronologically and I don't look at things um chronologically or you know logically so i'll you know my eye will track track to something then we'll move across a part you know to something else to something else so i i usually write in i think it's vidana vidona or something because mm-hmm. it's quite a wide it's a quite a wide font and it's yeah um it's quite blocky so it tends to suck up a line quite well and then when usually when I have to submit it, that's when I'll reformat to a, you know, to a traditional uh, font that um, editors will work with. Interesting. When you are, you, it's difficult for you to read. When you're doing research, do you have um, like a version on maybe your phone or your computer that is um, will speak to you and give you information? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I have like the um, like Dragon software or whatever it's called that Dragon. Uh, speak right. to you, or um, you can speak to it. Um, but um, what I have done, I've done with Word, is I kind kind of like um, done. I've kind of modified the grammar settings as I go, and sort of like spelling so that the thing autocorrects for me. My, right. 
my sort of archaic spelling for words because they're like, oh, that's never in a million years, but I guess that was what you're trying to type. Um, but also <laughs> that it'll highlight grammar to me that I'll go, there's something wrong in this sense. I don't know what it is. Or I might see it from time to time. But um, right. it, it'll highlight, and I know that there's, an, you know, an error. So I know that I've got to get rid of all my green underlines and my red underlines when Word sort of tells you you've done something wrong. I, I'm I'm glad for things like that because when I, I ha, I'm dyslexic with numbers. So when I was typing you the studio number just a few minutes ago, well, half hour ago, um, I had to look at it three times to make sure that I typed it in the right way because sometimes it looks right and then I realize – I mean, I don't even type my own phone number, and I've had the same phone number for 25 years. I'm afraid to change it. You know, they won't remember it. But um, but so I understand. Um, I want to talk just briefly about your other books because Book um, One Strife will be out in January. It'll be available um, definitely online, but um, and be in brick and mortar you're not really sure where you're going to put it i think unless you made it an ebook intentionally but no it's an, it's an ebook and it'll be out in paperback and okay. um the publisher distributes it in in most places so it should be around very good good so i said at the beginning of this show that you're a recovering race car driver you drove um i, I can't remember what you told me called the type of car that you used to race I used to uh, race Formula Ford, um, right. which was a different chassis, but you all have to use the same um, engine. Okay. So instead, you ha- you wrote the Westlake novels, the Eddie Westlake yeah. novels. And I think that's when I first interviewed you, Simon, when one of your first ones came out. It was um, really a lot of fun talking to you about that. But you have some other series, too. And you've written some nonfiction as well, correct? Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on a couple of nonfiction books, but I do a lot of um, nonfiction for magazines and things. Ah. And um, do you like doing that? Um, yeah, I think it, it's somewhat um, – nonfiction's kind of fun because it's somewhat easier in some respects because uh-huh. – um, you're almost writing about something you you know. Um, right. Whereas when you're writing something that's fictional, you're kind of literally pulling out your backside every time because you're right. like going, what, does this world really work? But if you're trying to say, oh, you know, this is how you assemble a desk, you've got a sort of structure you can kind of follow. Whereas with, sure. a, with a story, you're kind of like going, do I want to go in this direction? That seems a bad idea. And you're like, so you're right. sort of somewhat, even though I outline and everything, you're kind of stumbling through the dark as whether this story will hold together by the end. But um, with nonfiction, you kind of have, you kind of have, don't have that anxiety, I think. So it's nice to do that. Because I'm actually writing a memoir on being dyslexic. Really? Um, How because I wanted to sort of like, you know, give. There's been like memoirs of, about dyslexia before from sort of like sports stars and, and um, right. actors and things, but I wanted to do it from a writer's point of view um, because dyslexia, yeah, dyslexia is a nice round term, but it's um, 
I won't call it a lifestyle, but it is it is something in in those terms. It's the fact that I don't really know left from right. I know what they are, but put on the spot, you it's very hard to to conceptualise when you have to put them out there. And it's the fact that you know, if I stand, if I'm walking down the street from you going, you know, southbound. And then I turn mm-hmm. around and walk up the street going northbound. I'm in two different places. I don't make any correlation that I'm on the same really? street. So so I have to learn everywhere um, by as many times as there are, you know, if there's four ways into town, I have to learn all four ways. I don't make any connection. This is the same town I'm going into. How in the and world so this- did you learn to fly? How could you fly an aeroplane? There is tricks to it. They used to have a thing where I almost at one point was going to wear gloves. One that, you know, one that said, you know, left port on, you know, L&P and then like, you know, right and starboard on the other glove. But there was just mm-hmm. little things because, the, the, you know, there's a, a thing in flying which is, um, um, which is any, any red port left. And that that basically tells you that the the port the port is left and the red light on the wing is going to be red, and so you just have like little things in your head that you know what to look for. But to be honest, when because I didn't really know left and right, I did orienteering when I was about twelve, eleven or twelve, and I was mm-hmm. I used to get dropped into the middle of nowhere with like a small group of boys and be you know they would say to us, "You've now got to navigate your way through this forest." We'll see you in six. Oh, it used no, to be right. we'll see you in an we'll see you in an hour. We'll see you by lunchtime. We'll see you by the end of the day. And it got to the point where they were kind of like saying we'll drop you on Friday and we'll see you on Monday. And you were doing this as sort of like um, uh, I started being taught at eleven, and then when it started getting into almost like survival stuff, I kind of stopped when I was about twelve, thirteen. But that sort of like, but that was that thing of like. Um, I used to have a compass when I was about 10 or 11, so I knew which direction to walk home from places because I knew it'd be in this, you know, in this general um, heading. And so when you were doing flying, you're kind of, it's kind of like, I won't say it's idiot stuff, but you kind of map your, your course before you go, and then you're basically doing flying t- to that and you're going okay you're going to fly for 50 miles uh for you know 25 minutes or whatever it is and then you're going to turn right a bit and then you're going to go for another half an hour and then you're going to turn left a bit and then you're going to and so you're just doing off a heading so you're almost taking the um the anxiety of saying i don't know how to get from a to b but i've, I've written it down Hmm. Um, so so I, I'm assuming there's that way. there's no auto drive or auto fly when you're you not, can't not punch on in the small yeah. I mean, when I was taught to fly, there was no G, well, GPS kind of existed on boats. But now, if you're a right. pilot, you can sort of have a little basically the same kind of GPS you have in your car. You can put in your plane. But um, you know, part of that sort of like mental exercise of being able to navigate, um, you know, by pencil and paper, and then if it all goes wrong, know how to um, to sort of recalculate in your head. Um, is quite, because, you know, uh, 
GPS can fail, your battery can fail, but as long as you can always think. Because there's loads of things in applying that, you know, that are designed for sort of semi-redundancy. If you have a, a certain sure. electrical failures, you have like vacuum mechanical backups that cover that. Right. If you have those fail, you right. have your electric. And so, you know, part of your part of your training is basically what can go wrong today. And, you know, it's that thing of like they cover up all your things. There's little tricks and gadgets that are put into the plane that if everything failed, there's a, you know, there used to be a thing that if you, there's literally like a little spirit level bubble inside uh-huh. the plane. And if you tilted that to the the little marker it said and you got a watch and you, I think it was a, either a 30 or a 60 second cycle, you would have done 180 degrees. And that basically was designed purely to make you, if you got into trouble and you were lost and you couldn't see where you was going and none of your gauges worked, at least you could turn around and go home. Um, wow. And, Pretty interesting. You know, so there's lots of like redundancies that are in, you know, built into, the, into flying that help you think. But yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of not seeing the world the same way is kind of an interesting thing. So it's just something I wanted to build into the, you know, to tell as a book and just sort of like what my education was like, um, what life was like, what work life was like, and what, you know, to go into writing and, and to do uh, that with, with no skills or talent. Well, I think you have a lot of talent. I don't – so – and you learn the skills. What, you, yeah, because I think, you, you know, the thing about dyslexia, that it doesn't affect imagination. No, not at all. One bit. So um, it, it's just a fix – affects your ability to learn things that are written. So, you know, there, there's a big difference. When you were designing equipment that uh, for oil rigs so they wouldn't leak, what was yeah. your job? Were you an engineer? Um, I was a, a, a project engineer. I was essentially a mechanical, although I crossed into, you know, fluid dynamics and electrical engineering as well. But basically, um, I used to design two things. There was a... a there were seal systems, and it's essentially when they're drilling holes into the ground to draw oil out, you get a lot of what was known as sour gases, which are all the mm-hmm. really nasty kind of um, hydrocarbons and things that would pop out with the mm-hmm. with the oil and that. And so we basically provided a fluid barrier um, between um, the inside and the outside. Because what you did was you forced, uh, rather than um, have them leak out, we forced uh, the the leak to go into the um, inside, so that anything that leaked out was actually clean. Um, Interesting. But what leaked into you... their system was something compatible to the what was in the in the pipe. You have a really in-depth education, Simon. So um, I can't imagine it was easy for you to get that education being dyslexic but you've done it anyway and your wife also has a spectacular background doesn't she um my wife's uh, her background's genetic sciences so um and so she works in biotech so she's quite analytical whereas um everything i did education wise was vocational i never went to um a traditional college or university or something. I I was mm. a, a a mechanical design apprentice, which meant I did night school for a bunch of years, 
and then just worked in every department in a company and learned everything kind of firsthand. Um, and that's so that's how I kind of did it. That's almost the best education, I think. You know, it, it's more practical than than um, <laughs> studying. I mean, you know, I, I know people who want to be cops and then they're there and they say, boy, this is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. So it's kind of along the same line. You know, um, <laughs> I talk to people all the time who say, I want to be a podcast host. And I say, okay, you're going to be poor, but you can, you can do it, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I just, for me, it was a thing of, you know, I used to sort of think, you know, if I could do things over again, I, I kind of wish that I could have gone to, um, uh, sort of like college or university sort of thing, because I kind of would, I always feel like, oh, it would be better to be better educated rather than, um, you know, doing it my, sort of like self-study as it were, because um, I kind of feel there was things I missed out on in uh, high school and stuff. But, um the drinking, the groping, the girls, the drugs, <laughs> you know, the basketball games, the football games, the soccer games, maybe. But you look at where you ended up. You have a good life and you have good friends and you're an excellent writer. You actually won an, an Anthony Award. Tell me for which book um, and in which category did you win the Anthony? Um, it's weird. All my... Um nominations and wins have all been in the short story category um i won for a, a short story for the anthony i was nominated for a dagger for a short story i've been i think i've been nominated like two or three times for a short story in the anthony um so there's just kind of that thing that i i one day it'd be nice to be nominated for a book but uh, at the moment it's all been short stories i think interesting Interesting. I have some writer friends who say they can't write a short story at all, that they, they can't do a 1,000 words or 3,000 words. It's just not possible. And so um, I think that you're clearly very talented because you write a bunch of different ways. So good for you. Tell everyone where they can find you on the web, Simon, and in social media. Um, I'm on um, – my website is uh, simonwood.net. Um all these, you know, links to um, Twitter, um, Facebook, and Instagram, all on the all on the the website there, so they can they can track me down by clicking the little buttons. But uh, Simonwood.net's best place to start. I, I and I highly recommend you go to the gallery and see all of Simon's photos. They're pretty interesting. Um, I, I wish we had time for you to tell this, the mystical story again, the intersection story, but we don't. <laughs> so, but you tell it every time you're here, and I love that story. Unless you want to take three minutes and tell everyone. Um, okay, I'll try and do it in three minutes. Um, essentially, it's the thing of um, the problem living in the U.S. is everything is so fragmented. There isn't the law of the land. There's the law of the little patch or fiefdom um so i learned that about 17 years ago i used to ride my bike to work and i was hit by a car and i landed on a city county line and um there were three jurisdictions that were involved 
on trying to not be involved. Um, there was a city city police were sort of like saying um, which way did he land? Did he land in our jurisdiction or was he hit in in the counties? Uh, the county was like going, uh, well he was hit in ours, but we don't deal with traffic. And then uh, CHP took over, but it took them 30 minutes to answer the phone in the time that I basically decided um, I'll get up and go to hospital now myself. And um, I was actually almost charged with leaving the scene of an accident. Scene of an accident? Yeah, because I just gave them my number and said, I'll see you later. And um, they they made me come, um, after being discharged from the hospital, they they made me come to their um, their little police department and basically chewed me out and threatened to um, arrest me for leaving the scene of a, an accident. And like a, I, I must I must have looked, I was really dazed because I had a concussion and some internal oh, bleeding. Wow. And I was sort of like, I just sort oh, of like no. stood there and had this guy shout at me for 20 minutes. And I kind of just like let it wash over me. I think if I'd been more of a... Um, my wits about me it would have been a different story but i just kind of stood there and went huh <laughs> <laughs> was the the person who hit you were they charged with the accident no no um it was just an insurance thing um the lady's insurance basically paid me for you know lost work time my bike and things like that but you still ride you are still a biker right yeah, yeah. I, I might have had way too many concussions, and I, I was, I was supposed to have stopped about two concussions ago, because they kind of say that I have short-term memory loss, uh, in as part of my daily life. Um, so, um, there's that thing of they so they say if you have one, one more big whack, you could lose all short-term memory. Um, so the, it. I did I did have a little bit for a couple of weeks, um, like the movie Memento, where I could not hold on mm-hmm. to memories for a couple of weeks. Um, mm. But uh, the long term of that is that if I don't make a, a, a mental effort to remember something, I won't remember it. Wow. I'm surprised that Julie lets you leave the house alone. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I usually have to have minders. <laughs> Simon Wood, it's been a joy to talk to you as always. I always learn something new and interesting from you, and I always end up with a smile on my face. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I wish you and Julie and and the Furs a wonderful holiday and um, a very happy new year. And we will get together the group, and we'll do a, a group show for the anthology, okay? All right, no worries. Thanks so much, Simon. And thank you, listeners, for being with me and Simon tonight. If I don't talk to you again soon, I hope you have a happy holiday, and I'll talk to you next year. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Bye-bye. (laughs) 